Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us, that would help us to see who is Jesus and to see the demands that Jesus makes upon all who want to follow him. Amen. Well, we're, uh, we're in this series in, uh, uh, in the New Testament uh, concerning the, uh, the person Peter the Apostle. And uh, this week, we're looking at this passage, Mark 8, 27 to 38. Peter, who do you say I am? Now, I don't know uh, how you react to different people. But generally speaking, we, uh, we react to people as we come to know them and uh, maybe the positions they hold. So if I could have my first picture, please. Thank you. Now, if I asked you, uh, who is this man, I'm sure that you'd be able to tell me. But if I said to you, uh, well, actually, it's, you know, it's only relatively... A short time ago, perhaps mid-2016, I would have had no idea who this man is. And in fact, I really don't know very much about him at all. It's very biased, I think, probably because of the media. But uh, I do know about the position that he holds. And even if I don't know him personally, I can respect the position of President of the United States. So, how do we respond to him? Well, what about the try this one? This might be a bit nearer home, but it might be equally difficult. Who is this person? Now, again, if you'd have asked me that question only maybe two months ago, I would not have had a clue who this person was, is. Okay, but we know who she is. As someone called out, she's Arena Grand. She played at this Manchester uh, concert where there was a, uh, terrible events took place. And as a result, she's been awarded the honorary citizenship of Manchester. But the question is, of course, uh, that's not really who we've come to consider this morning. We've come to consider who is this man Jesus? Who is this man Jesus? Now, some people, of course, uh, particularly when I was a lot younger, thought he was a radical. And they used him as a way of uh, uh, motivating people to get serious about uh, radical issues. Others think of him as a mystic. Others think he was a good teacher. And some don't think anything at all. Well, the first of the, the whole of the first half of this Gospel of Mark is dominated by a huge question mark. And it's a question mark about Jesus himself. Who is this man? So we read in uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 7, that Jesus heals a paralyzed man, he pronounces his sins forgiven, and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, get fumingly angry with him. They say, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive this sins but God alone? 
And then in Mark 4, we have that famous account of Jesus in the uh, fishing boat, uh, asleep in the bottom, when there's a, a howling wind and a storm comes up, and the disciples are worried about their, their safety. And he gets up and he calms the storm. And the disciples say, who is this? And then in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and many hear him, and they're amazed. And they say, where did this man get these things? They ask, what's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? So the question then that Jesus puts to the disciples is, who do people say I am? And by the time we reach chapter 8, Jesus himself seems to be waiting for the penny to drop. Because in verse 21 of chapter 8, he expresses amazement to the disciples. Do you still not understand, he asked them. And it's against this background of questioning who Jesus is that he takes his disciples to one side and he asks them this question. Who do people say that he is? Jesus uses Peter and the disciples to examine this question and to examine what God's kingdom is going to look like. And so I believe this is a critical question for us today and in the society we live in. We have seen, haven't we, quite a radical decline in church attendance over the last 30 years. And there may be many reasons for this, but one of them, I believe, is because people are not seeing Jesus. They're not understanding what Jesus claimed to be and what he offers them. Well, Mark in this gospel is asking this question. And he's asking that to help people to be clear about the kind of discipleship to which Jesus calls them and to help them respond in a positive way. So I've got uh, not three points for you this morning. I've got four, which will make it even better. So my first question and my first point is, who did the people say Jesus is? We see that in verse 27. Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people? That's the people around you. That's the people that you are mixing with. Well, at this time, Jesus and the disciples are in and around the city of Caesarea Philippi, which was a pagan city where there were a lot of Roman gods were being worshipped. So it's a vital question. And Jesus will use this question to teach them and to teach us the true nature of his Messiah and the cost of following him. And of course, as we come to share our faith with others, with our friends and our families, this is the question that we need to be asking. Who do you say Jesus is? Because by asking that question, it opens up the possibility of a dialogue. It takes people away from the organized religion to the actual, the Son of God. So what did they reply then? What were the people's replies to this? Well, firstly, they say that there there were different responses. People have got different ideas about who Jesus was. They thought, some of them thought, that he was Elijah the prophet. They think this because Jesus, they noticed, had been different to the -the run-of-the-mill man. He was not like any other man in their general public. 
Now, I don't know when was the last time you read anything about Elijah. If you haven't read anything in the last six months, can I, uh, can I suggest you turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 and 20 through to 2 Kings 1 and 2. Because there we see a fantastic picture of a man of God being used by God through working miracles. Through, through Elijah, there were miracles where food was provided, rainfall was stopped, rivers were diverted, even a young man was brought back to life after he had died. Very similar to some of the things that Jesus was doing. Secondly, some of the other people said, well, we think he is John the Baptist. They, of course, some of those people may well have heard John the Baptist. They may have gone out into the desert to hear his teaching. And they see a similarity between Jesus and this man, John the Baptist. Well, of course, these answers were very complementary towards Jesus. Elijah and the prophets were all highly thought of, and, they, and to count Jesus as a member of this elite company seems very respectful. And of course today, people also have respectful views about Jesus, just to name two. That uh, famous singer, St. Elton John, who said that he would like to ban all organized religion. Nevertheless, he loves the teachings of Jesus Christ. And even that arch-atheist, Professor Richard Dawkins, who would like to ban God in totality, he has something nice to say about Jesus. Jesus, he writes, was surely one of the great ethical innovators of history. His turn the other cheek anticipated Gandhi and Martin Luther King by 2,000 years. So who is Jesus, according to the general public? Secondly, the second point, Jesus then turns from the general question to the specific question. He turns to his followers, that is those people that had been with him right from the beginning, who had heard all his teaching, seen his miracles, and seen what his actual life looked like. He asked them, who do you say I am? And here, of course, we meet Peter again, don't we? Peter, that lovable character who jumps in with two feet without thinking too much. And what does he say? Well, Peter comes into this vacuum of silence with a comment that probably took everybody's breath away because he says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the anointed one. Now, this is rather a short account of this event. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 20, you will see a, a much larger account of the same event taking place. And so in that account, we read that Peter adds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is, according to Jesus, a spiritual revelation. This knowledge has been revealed to Peter by God himself and not by man. And therefore, Jesus blesses Peter and foretells that God's church will be built upon this and upon, upon the work of Peter and the apostles, even though we know that later Peter will deny Jesus. And I think that's an important point for all of us here, isn't it? This revelation given to Peter is given by the Holy Spirit. 
It points to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And it points to the fact that the Holy Spirit has been at work and that this is what is needed if people are to acknowledge that Jesus is God's Son who came to earth to save us from our sins. And I would like to suggest to you that faith in Jesus won't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. No amount of discussion, persuasion, reason, alpha groups, discovering Christianity groups or any other sort of groups will work because it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and belief in Jesus. And we see this here with Peter. So Jesus says, what about you, my disciples? Who do you say I am? Now, of course, we have an unfortunate tendency to think that the word Christ is merely a surname for Jesus. But Christ is not a name. It's a title. Giving someone the name George King is not the same as conferring on him the title George the King. And according to Peter, Jesus is the Christ, meaning God's anointed one, the Messiah. Repeatedly, if you remember, those Old Testament prophets had had spoken of the one that would come and save God's people. And now from the lips of Peter comes this great confession. You are the promised one. You are the Christ. The prophets were the forerunners of the one who was to come. And Jesus is that one. Now, this is a truly amazing confession by Peter. We, of course, have had 2,000 years to get used to the idea. Our problem is familiarity. But Peter was having to work it out for the first time, and the challenge for him was the novelty of the idea. But he got it right. And don't let either the familiarity or the novelty of the truth prevent us from facing up to it and its implications. And so Jesus uses this question to teach them what he wants them to know about the Messiah and the kingdom of God and the cost of following him. And Jesus uses this term, son of man. It's a a terminology that comes from the prophetic word of Daniel. It's a messianic image. And here's a principle that I believe applies to each one of us, especially if we've been brought up in a Christian environment. It's not enough to know what others think and say of Jesus. We must know and understand and accept for ourselves that Jesus is the Messiah. And of course, that will happen through the work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and minds. And so we must move from curiosity to commitment, from admiration to adoration. So there we have the question then, who do you say that I am my disciples. But what is God's true Messiah to look like? So my third point is, what is the true picture of the Messiah to look like? Because we need to remember that the Jews were expecting the Messiah. They were hoping for the Messiah. They lived in expectation of the Messiah. So what is the true picture of the Messiah to look like? Well, three things that Jesus gives us in verse 31. Three things. He says, firstly, that the true Messiah will suffer at the hands of mankind. He will suffer at the hands 
of mankind. Secondly, he will be rejected by the very people that should be expecting and actually welcoming him into their country. That is, the religious leaders, those that teach religion, those that hold religious power within their society. And then thirdly, he will be killed and he will rise from the dead. Now, this is a truly remarkable statement. Yes, the Jews believed in a general resurrection of mankind, but they didn't expect their Messiah was going to be killed and going to be risen from the dead. And so in verse 31, Jesus teaches them the very opposite to what the Jews held in their belief that the Messiah who would be a conquering hero. The Jews believed that their Messiah would be a man who would come, he would take political power, he would take military power, he would take them to freedom from oppression, oppression from the Roman conquering force. So this was totally in opposition to what was expected. And of course, Peter again, as is his nature, jumps in and he starts to rebuke Jesus for this whole idea. He rebukes him. But Jesus turns to him and says, you don't have a spiritual insight into the situation concerning the Messiah because you are looking at it from a world's point of view. So, point number four. What is the cost of following this Messiah? Look at verse 34. The true nature of Jesus' kingdom and the call and cost of discipleship of following him. Because here we read that Jesus now turns to the crowd as well as his disciples. He has spent time explaining to his band of friends the true situation concerning his person. And now he wants to extend this to the local community represented by the crowd. And so he now addresses the issue concerning how they can follow him if they accept that he is the Son of God. What will it cost them? What will it cost us if we want to follow him? He's warning them to think carefully before committing their lives to following him. And he gives us three warnings here in verses 35 to 38. Self-denial, taking up his cross and following him. So let's look at this each one in question. Firstly, self-denial. Now, by self-denial, he's not just talking about giving up something that we like. It's not just about saying no to things, or so we give up chocolate for Lent. It's about saying no to self in order to say yes to God. It's about total commitment. It's about ridding ourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind in order that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So writes Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. So self-denial is the first thing that they need to consider when they want to follow him. Secondly, self-denial through the taking up of the cross. Self-denial through the taking of the cross. Verse 34, cross-bearing. 
Now, we tend to think of uh, carrying a cross as something that we reluctantly do, sharing some sort of burden. So you might have heard a phrase such as, she has a very bad-tempered husband, it's a cross that she has had to bear. Maybe true. But again, that isn't what Jesus is actually talking about here. Jesus is using an image that the local people at that time would have understood very well. The Romans crucified dangerous criminals, those that murdered, those that rebelled against the Roman authorities. They forced those that were convicted to carry their crosses to the place of execution. It was a dreadful symbol. It was a symbol of total submission to the Roman authorities. It was the ultimate form of submission leading to a dreadful death. And this is a picture that Jesus was using to put to support his statement on self-denial. This is what those who want to follow Jesus must do. For the Christian to take up his cross means accordingly to count himself good as good as dead. That famous German uh, theologian Bonhoeffer, who was killed by Hitler, said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Again, it's about total commitment. So look at the cost involved. That is giving all for Jesus. It's a real challenge, isn't it, for all of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus. Recognizing this, then Jesus goes on to expand the point in verses 35 through to 37. The point of all of this is to follow Jesus. The point of giving up all of this is that life is saved and eternity is the reward. So Jesus states, you will receive life if you give up all for the gospel. And of course, this is the very opposite of the world's values, which puts self as number one. Look what he says in verse 36. What will be the benefit if you gain all that the world can offer? That's fame, prestige, respect, physical wealth. If the world bows down to you, but you lose your soul, and the word soul here means life in doing this. No, You will gain life by giving all to me, following me. So this is the revolutionary message that Jesus is teaching this crowd at that point. Rather than grasping for life, give for life. It's a powerful, challenging message for us, isn't it? It's one that our world needs to hear and to see from Christian followers. And so Mark has been asking this question in his gospel. Who is Jesus Christ? And he provides an answer here. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who will die but be resurrected and who requires his followers to give up their ideas in the pursuit of the gospel of good news. Now if you think that's a bit extreme, go back to what Jesus said to that young rich man who asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We read of this in Mark 10, verses 17 to 24. The young man quite rightly wanted life. And he appears to be in a great young man. 
Because Jesus says, you know what the commandments say. You know what you have to keep. And he had done these. So Jesus stated, sell what you have and give to the poor. In other words, self-denial. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and said, how hard it is for the rich to give to enter the kingdom of God. How hard is it for them to give up what they have, their riches, what their riches represent, the status it gives them, the power and security. And quite rightly, a lot of these rich people would have earned their riches through their own skills and efforts. But now they're required to give to those who haven't, loving their neighbours as themselves. Truly, this can only happen through the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that will enable this to happen. And of course, we have this ultimate example of this in Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, who was one with God at the creation. Jesus, who was with God all time. Jesus, that is still with God now. And so let's marvel at new at the sacrifice of Jesus and the love that made this possible. And let's commit ourselves afresh to Jesus the Christ, the one who suffered, the one who died, the one who rose again for us in order that we might die and rise again with him and have eternity with him. Isn't that a challenging message but also an encouraging message that Jesus calls us to be disciples of him, because he gave all for us. Amen.